and welcome to Filmmaker's Compass Podcast. I'm Dustin, joined by Christian. And uh, we have a very special guest for today's episode. Very excited. I'm really happy about this. This is my friend Gregory Beeser. Knows a lot about movies and has some great stories. He is a producer. Really excited to get your perspective on the industry. Now you are. We'll see at the end. We'll check in at the end. <laughs> you should like write down the number, like one through ten now, and then an hour from now, write down one through ten. We'll see if the numbers match. <laughs> Obviously, first similarity here, right? We're from your neighbors to the east. We're both from Indiana. You grew up in Illinois. Oh, okay. um, as a kid in the Midwest, because we can sort of relate. When did you decide you wanted to get? At the time, I probably didn't realize it, but you just fall in love with movies, and you start trying to figure out yeah. how they make movies, and you start... There was a second-run movie theater two blocks away, and I think I went to see Batman by myself nice. when I was like 10 or 11, and the first time you commit to seeing a movie by yourself, you're either a weirdo or you're a filmmaker. <laughs> or valid point, valid point. All the John Hughes movies were set in, not where I lived, but it looked like where I lived, like the suburbs of Chicago, which was cool, yeah. and... Blues Brothers. So like, yeah. then you start associating Hollywood with that, and then they filmed a couple TV movies in my neighborhood, and so it just it balled up, and you realize you get paid to do it for a job, and yeah, and then it goes from there, and and then you know you, it's hard to do in the Midwest because there's not yeah, your local in the industry, right? Yeah, yeah, I kind of know. Like yeah. you know, we would just grab a camcorder and a, a bunch of our friends, you know, and we used to you know edit on two v- VCRs, yeah, you know, Pause and yeah, going mm-hmm. back and forth, and we it was like magic to us. But yeah, there's no there's no industry there, so it's just your friends and your mom. You know, you need a mom in your story. It's your mom. <laughs> one of our, uh, we had a group of friends that were kind of all into it. And one of my friends did go to acting school. A few of us ended up doing it for real. But his mom was an actress. She would be in like local commercials, <laughs> and cool. she was in an episode of uh, Unsolved Mysteries. Okay. So yeah. she was always the <laughs> the mom because she was a pro. She was uh, a pro. Yeah, and and we had a local cable channel. Like straight out of Wayne's World, nice. public access, <laughs> and we did like our version of not Wayne's World, but just a talk show, yeah, do skits and stuff like that. And so that at least allows you to practice it and yeah. do it for actual with real equipment. And right. I was lucky enough to have that. Now, obviously, my nine year old niece has a stop motion <laughs> app and she makes movies, and it has like ADR Jeez. and it yeah. has green screen and it has like oh so. God. Now it's a lot, the tools are a lot easier, so I guess yeah. it's a good thing and a bad thing. I wouldn't want to judge it. I'll sound like like the old man, um, <laughs> but the tools are a lot easier to come by. You don't have to scrap as hard. Right. That's right. what we talk about, man. I remember trying to dig up like a quality camcorder when you're like 11 years old. It's yeah. like <laughs> I I like to think it makes you better. Half the players in baseball come from the Dominican Republic, and and they yeah. tell stories about like making a mitt out of like a, the cardboard from a six pack sure. and meanwhile you've got like spoiled kids in Pasadena who have like $300 <laughs> ceramic bats like who's going to be a better baseball player right like yeah then you went to NYU went to film school I don't know how my parents agreed to do that that always seems like an awkward conversation yeah my dad was is a physician and there was no there's no like you come out here and people are like third and fourth generation film and like yeah and yeah. No. I guess I was persuasive enough and dedicated enough um, my mom visited NYU with me me and I think that convinced her she sort of fell in love with the place yeah they went to colleges that were urban as well okay so that pinged with them they give it a shot and <laughs> it was half the cost it is now so that might have helped <laughs> but it was still very expensive and it was a big deal for them to go so that was a lot of faith that they had in me and maybe that's what being a good parent is is knowing yeah when and where to have faith and you know you sort of want to make sure that that was well earned but it was important to do because at the time, you need, like you said, you needed access. Like there was yeah. big cameras. Yeah. It was very the means of production were centralized, 
and you couldn't make movies with your iPhone like you can now. Right. So you truly, given, if you accept the hypothesis that film school is important, you needed to go to film school and you needed to go to one of the big ones, yeah. um, which were mostly New York or LA at that yeah. point. Yeah. Now, who knows? I'm, this is literally 20 years out of date as far as what, yeah. I can't participate in the debate of should you go to film school or not, but at the time it was useful to me um, and it was great. And I made a lot of the arguments for film school are, I made a ton of connections just friendship wise. Right. Yeah. People I still either work with today or bump into randomly. A bunch of people have gotten Oscar nominations from my class or the year before or the year after. Uh, not me. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. The networking that comes from, from that experience still pays off. It teaches you a lot of lessons early. You know, you get to play. Yeah. So, so there's a lot yeah. of yeah. non-little, like there's more than just filmmaking as a reason to go to film school. Yeah. It sort of, you know, continues to show up. Even like today, you still sort of have NYU conversations with people and or whatever school you go to can pay off as opposed to just like coming out here after you got your Yeah, crash degree. on a couch somewhere. And it'll, it'll get you a week at someone's house <laughs> if they're a violet and you're a violet. <laughs> you totally just stole my next question out from under me. I don't really think it matters. It sounds like for you, it ended up being a positive experience. Yes. I mean, I always wanted, I never had a second question doubt in my head, right? If you have a doubt or if you don't really know, then you can make the argument that maybe you should get a different degree or a practical degree or mm -hmm. like a graduate degree, like a law degree or a business degree. There's also logic that if you have a fallback plan, you will fall back on it. Right. There's logic to that too. Like I think yeah. a lot of the people who shrug and quit and give up and become a realtor or run their dad's insurance company at age 27, I think always had that in mind in the yeah. back of their head when they were yeah. 18, as opposed to 100% I'm dedicated to this. So in that case, film school is worthwhile. And also I needed an advantage. Everyone needs an advantage yeah. in this industry. Yeah. Um, I started writing down the kind of people. The people in this town, you can categorize, there's like trust fund kids. No offense. God bless if you're a trust fund kid. Lucky you, but yeah. I'm not. You have these conversations. I've had people start talking about their trust fund in front of you or like, and you, <laughs> you're the only one. <laughs> like, okay. You're just like, no judgment, but they're going to laugh. You know, yeah. that's what they're, yeah. they've got, like, you got to work twice as hard because you need a job and film, you know, you have to simultaneously pen bar and audition. Right. Yeah. And then there's, you know, legacy kids who were just born into it. They yeah. like went to Hollywood High. Their, their dad's an agent and their best friend was this guy. And they've just got this web of connections since they were five. Yeah. Don't even try to compete with that. Right. It's not. Yes. Yeah. Because you can't. You can. <laughs> and again, God bless. I hope that they're, they're successful and it's not like they're not lesser, but you still have to get, give yourself some sort of advantage in my sense that was sort of a, a trade school and yeah. training and and whatever the certification means or does not mean or whatever the logo means or whatever the connection means so like yeah. that, that was a, I think I would not have been as successful if I just gone to you know Champaign-Urbana and gotten a film studies degree. That's so <laughs> crazy, dude. My my grandma actually used no to live No offense to the Alina. No, she used to live in Shelbyville so we went through Champaign all the time. That was my backup school. That was, that was my like. I know that exact place. Uh, a lot of my friends went there, and it's a great education and all that stuff. But it's not. It's not the weapon for the job. Yeah. And some people. Sense. And some people. People more talented than me have certainly gone to U of I. And for me, you know, I needed all the help I could get. I have a question. If you went to NYU, is there like a film community out there or was it just natural to be like, go to LA? As far as professionally? Yeah. There's, I found, I never wanted to live or work in New York City. Um, okay. Blame me. So maybe it was just personal preference. It's like past, it's either super poor or super rich. Okay. New York is the great place. And less yeah. and less super poor. I never want to live out there. I think the community, film community out there is very insular. Like everything in New York, like goes back 200 years. Yeah, yeah I know it, it has like a ton of media, but film... And there's stuff, but it's like Danny Aiello the third, you know, to get on his crew, you gotta Yeah. So there's it's very difficult to break in and that's also not where it's created, right? Yeah. So the studios were out here out here. All the shooting used to happen out here, so at least if you're at the point of Genesis. Yeah. Whereas in the old days, even if it's shot in New York, 
it was originated in L.A. Right? Yeah. Um, Dick Wolf's offices were in L.A., not in New York. Where they yeah. Law and Order. So, uh, but I, I always wanted, like, L.A. was always the that, destination. It's like the dream. Like, yeah, go to L.A. Whether or not that was, like, <laughs> accurate, because <laughs> my vision of L.A. was from Tony Scott movies and, fr- like, oh, from gosh. just all that stuff. You got out here, you're like, whoa. And, like, I, I showed up wearing shorts, because, like, <laughs> it's hot all the time in L.A. Like, so my, my view of L.A. was completely wrong. <laughs> I fixed it. And did you just, like, pack up a car after you graduated and you're like I'm gonna go to LA like did you know anyone here the network of friends I'd made film school was very valuable because I actually stayed behind a year or two to like cobble up enough money so okay. that I could obviously the more money you have when you come out here the longer of a runway it gives you mm-hmm. yeah so I wanted to have a little bit of that that gave me another advantage which was I had a network of friends that was here that could help support me ahead of me right like that I had the scouting party that's helped me get my first apartment and my yeah. first roommate yeah. first job I literally showed up and my buddy's like I got you a job nice. which just blessed because I didn't have to I also got a little bit of professional working experience like to save money I tempt at this super high power Park Avenue uh, investment firm who didn't give a crap about my fancy film degree and I had to really work and I couldn't spell anything wrong and I had to make the copies perfectly and billion dollar investment firm so I had a modicum of professional experience just doing stuff most 22 or 23 year olds don't have yeah that's really smart having a little bit of life experience helps having friends to help you out and just tell you like no we go to Bordner's we don't go to that bar (laughs) and like this is where you go to do this and there's this place called the Grove it's awesome and all that stuff helps you when you're 23, 24, 25 as opposed to exploring the city completely wild eyed and and, you know helpless yeah so what was uh, what was the first kind of gig that you got when you came out here well I was given this job to be a writer's assistant because my friend had left that job okay so I was kind of passed to me so, so that that job was in, you're, in, you're in the industry I mean I could have screwed it up and, and really easily <laughs> like, I didn't I did the guy yeah. got, and I mean, the guy was writing a, a Spielberg movie he's a writer named uh, Sausage Gervasi who's amazing writer director now and yeah. did a lot of great documentaries and feature films and he did uh, the, My Dinner with Hervé on HBO most yeah. recently he, I, it's not like I was handed the job I had to earn my key. From day one, just running around and driving all over the place and doing errands and just personal assistant duties. It teaches yeah. you about how to behave in, in, in the town and it teaches you where all the agencies are located and where all the production companies are located. Yeah. You get to learn all the verbiage and it was a, a, um, a great job to have. Um, but, it, you know, I had, you had to hopscotch from, you know, one job to the next. The cleverest thing I ever did was... You're looking for stories. The two cleverest things I ever did were... Oh, we're looking um, for stories. Yeah, here we go. There's a UTA job list. I was able to make a friend who would give me the UTA job list six hours early. Oh, wow. It comes out on Wednesdays at like five o'clock. And he'd send it to me. This unnamed UTA employee would send it to me new. (laughs) So I had this like five-hour head start. This guy literally did not have a name. And... And uh, and he would sometimes tell me who it was. Oh, and, and so that's actually even more. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, this was I didn't earn this, but I took advantage of it, and I didn't want to let slide. So he was like, "Michael Bay needs an assistant, and it's going out in six hours." And so like I got my resume, and I it was faxing stuff back then, and so I <laughs> faxed it. Week, weeks and weeks went by, and I faxed them every probably too often. And eventually, I called the office, and they said, well, "We're so sorry, but we just haven't brought in anyone for the job yet." And I said, "Well, listen, how about I just come there and intern for you guys? You can throw me out if you think I'm a crazy person." 
And I'll just intern until you hire someone, and maybe it's me, maybe it's not, but at least you'll have someone mopping the floors and feeding the dogs and stuff. Wow. And they're like, I guess, <laughs> I don't know, if you want to trespass, you can trespass. So I did that for several months, and it was a great experience. Yeah. And some of the executives there would, like, slip me, like, per diem or food okay. or, you know, like, okay. to get by. Okay. But, but the advice, if I can make that into practical advice for people, which is, like, uh, interning is a lot better way in the door than getting a job. Because people will cut you a lot more slack if you're doing it for free. Okay. I was allowed to show up and trespass and stalk as long as it didn't cost them any money, right? Yeah. But yeah. they're not going to pay me if I'm going to be new okay. with no experience. No yeah. Work. So whenever you get the chance, like always go for the internship. People will listen to you if you're like, I'll, I'll do it for free. But to do yeah. that, you have to have savings or you have to have a job or you have to be a trust fund. Guy. That really served me well. And it taught me a lot of good work ethic. And a lot of, I came across a lot of people who I came across in my later career that I might not have had the chance to. So, okay. you know, you're going to make... It all kind of comes back full circle. It's the world's biggest yeah. high school or smallest high school. <laughs> and then I kept on working for free and I worked for free on a friend's independent film. I had nothing to do because I was unemployed because I was interning. So I'm, oh, I'll work in your film. And there was a really pretty girl working on set. I was only working one day and she's like, oh, are you working tomorrow? Yes, I'm working tomorrow. <laughs> and she's like, good, we need someone to watch the equipment truck. My job was in downtown LA, very close to where we're recording this. I had to watch the Genie truck, the Grip Electric truck, in an alley in downtown from call time to wrap. That was my job. <laughs> it was to make sure that no one walked off with the lights and cords. <laughs> and she just sit there. Again, this was pre-iPhone, so there's nothing to do. Oh my gosh. I just like stared at ants like death. <laughs> for hours. But I wanted to bump into this girl at lunch and it like, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then her roommate was working on a Tony Scott movie. She noted like, oh my God. Greg is just so dedicated. He didn't leave first. <laughs> and he didn't, like, he's so dedicated. Like, I can really trust him. She set me up with an interview to be one of the assistants for Tony Scott for a movie she was working on. You never know when people are watching you work, right? So, yeah. like, work hard at everything you can. Okay. Never slack off. You never know when someone is kind of keeping an eye on you. You never know when someone's going to get fired and they need a replacement. And yeah. yeah. The last person they saw was you doing your job well and they yeah. just grab you and replace you. And if I hadn't been just sitting in a chair watching, you know, Ants, then I never would have gotten a chance to work, you know, on a yeah. Scott movie and then blah, 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 that added ramifications. So like, those were two early lessons that I learned that I've tried to keep up with as I've gotten older and lazier and more, <laughs> and, and more of a contradiction and hypocrite. Oh, man. wow. No, I mean, that's good advice. You have had the experience since that time, obviously, working on a number of productions. And I know one of them is, in fact, Man on Fire. That work on Man on Fire. It seems like I have at this point because I've told the story so often that, <laughs> that like, I have to catch myself. So I, um, after working for Tony Scott, I was an assistant for a couple more, you know, really cool helpful directors and writers and I ended up being an assistant for a producer named Lucas Foster who ran Simpson Bruckheimer for years mm -hmm. and then went off on his own was an independent producer and I was his assistant and then became development executive and sort of an associate producer at his company in feature films and so he'd made Man on Fire a couple years before I got to working with him. I worked my way up the ladder from assistant to executive to producer. Both he and I would get confused about the films that I'd worked on and hadn't worked on. <laughs> and that's forgivable because a lot of the same crew, like in most tracks, would mm -hmm. be loyal. And it would, if not the casting director, then a DP or then yeah, right. some actors yeah. or whatever. And you'd know the same people. And so... 
it would be like, well, what was that place that we were at in Mexico? And I would I would know the answer even though I wasn't there. And then like, I, and, and so it comes foggy you when you start just like mushing together all these credits. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, you were there. Yeah. I remember you. Yeah. And, no, you, and you, start, you start misremembering your own credits. <laughs> like, that sounds like a good problem to have. Well, you got to make sure you're, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you have to honestly misremember your credits. Yeah. Because thanks to IMDb, yeah. you can't get away budging, which you used to, which some people still do, but like, it's really easy to check up on um, someone. If not IMDb, just knowing a guy who knew a guy who worked on the show and you can check up on yeah. them. Yeah. But yeah. You, you can't, yeah. you can't be as nakedly dishonest, <laughs> which is a bummer because that's what Hollywood is built upon. Um, whether I like it or not, you, you got to try to be honest about what you worked on because it'll circle back and it's helpful to just, you know, to, to, to stay sharp like that. But it's sad because the old days, my camera professor at NYU was like older than dirt. He was talking about squibs. Okay. And how you shoot him, you know, like, I don't know if it was frame rate or exposure. And he's like, yeah, I tell you, this one time we were, we were squibbing up, uh, you know, Bobby Duvall for uh, Godfather. And, uh, wait, 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 wait. Was that Bonnie and Clyde? Huh, hold on, hold on. And he just like, <laughs> Like some old guy. The guy couldn't remember <laughs> the difference between a Bonnie and Clyde story and a Godfather story. <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, I hope, you know the phrase, he's forgotten more about filmmaking than you'll ever know. Like, yeah. literally, he he literally forgot more about filmmaking than I ever will know. So that's the good old days now with like everything is you know memorialized forever. So I did not work on Man on Fire, but I can I can act like I did. Okay. All right. Well, that's long. good to know. Good it could impress someone at a party, but not on a podcast. Give this man an acting credit. <laughs> okay. Well, you did do Law Abiding Citizen. I did do Law Abiding Citizen. What was that like? Do you have any sweet was, stories about? Uh, it was dude, a, just doing a movie that everybody's seen. Any anytime you have the luck to work on a movie, it's just. It's a miracle. So anytime you get an experience to work on a movie, it's great. The fact that it was a fun movie with a lot of great people involved is even better. Yeah. It turned out pretty good. It turned out pretty good. It had, been, <laughs> it had been developed for years, for at least seven or eight years before I oh. even worked for the company. Wow. We worked on it for two years and then it started getting made. So it's a long, long, long incubation process and many drafts. And I was lucky enough to be involved with like a lot of the different writers and iterations okay. of it. It taught me a lot. The lesson I learned was you never, ever, 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 ever shoot a movie in chronological order because it enables you to have horrible habits. And it was a total coincidence just from scheduling and yeah. we changed directors and just everything got shaken up. The weather and actors availability, all mm -hmm. that added up to we pre the, the schedule was in narrative order. Of, huh. The first day of shooting was the first scene in the movie, more or less, and the last day of shooting was the last scene in the movie. Whoa. And, and you never hear that. the problem was, was it enabled us to continually rewrite as we went along. The schedule was very strict because the company had to release the film for financial reasons. It had been pushed a couple months anyway. And so we needed to go, go, go. And the script wasn't quite perfect, and we were being perfectionists about it. I'm sure all the producers above me and the director above me were all perfectionists, and lesser directors and producers probably would have settled for a film that wasn't up to their standards, but we yeah. weren't about to do that. Yeah. We worked on the script almost every night after we finished shooting. It, 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 wow. The film's better from the film. The film's viewable and releasable because of it. But we were coming up with new endings. Oh, man. And and that's sort yeah. of when I went trans, transitioned from assistant to a producer or executive because I was in... And I, at a certain point, I think people were just too tired to come up with suggestions. And so I would like raise my hand and come up with a suggestion. And I bled in the room with everybody. So eventually, like, I was part of the team. But literally, there was a, I don't want to talk out of school too much. These are all fun stories. And everybody, no one, you know, 
hates each other, but there was <laughs> there was a printer on set at Video Village for the last week of the shoot, and it was like warm pages to the actors. <laughs> oh my gosh! Which they were amazing because to deal with that is crazy. Like you should have yeah. your lines weeks or months in advance, yeah. wow. if not yeah. days, but certainly not minutes in advance. Um, but at that point, everyone was in a joke, and we were just trying to make it a finish line. <laughs> Everyone's like, this is our reality. Creativity on set is never the greatest thing. You should allow for it, but you shouldn't plan for it. Yeah. I think that... I seem smart. I like the dive, plan the dive, dive the plan method of filmmaking, because okay. at least you got a plan. It's never going to hold up yeah. to the elements. Yeah. But at least you tried. At least you went yeah. through the effort to make yeah. a plan. At yeah. least you've got something to cling... You've got some rubble to cling yeah. to as the boat sinks. If you don't have a plan, then you're just asking for it. That was a very good example of that happening. But it, it paid off. Like I said, the movie I think is pretty cool. It's yeah. kind of the, the genre I like and I like to work in and I've been lucky enough. Like I've, I've never had to work on horrible movies that were outside of my interest level. This yeah. is an elevated genre movie. It's it's a revenge pick, which everyone loves. Cars blow up, people yeah. get their heads blown off, and it's fun, but it's, it's it has enough substance to it that you can actually talk yeah. about, you yeah. know, like morality and the legal system and defending your family and yeah. stuff like that. So those are those are the kind of movies I try to gravitate towards, and that was a super fun one uh, to get to do, have fun with all the talent and the crew and the yeah. locals and yeah. the LA people that you joined yeah. out there and the, you know, the entire circuit. Yeah, funny story about that movie i actually saw it because my mom saw it and called me and was like you need to go check out this movie so i was like okay. your mom saw was she like they sent her to the wrong no like I mean, she went with one of her friends that's great that's awesome yeah that she's like oh you'd love this movie you gotta go see it i'm like okay so I went. <laughs> word of mouth that's yeah that like. that's how it happened that's what it's supposed to be right it came out too early the movie was supposed to come out several months later in february of 2010 um but there was some financial reason that needed to come out sooner and so it only got one trailer instead of two. Mm. There's a science to marketing that I don't know anything about. Awareness is tracked and unneeded yeah. awareness and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And you just, there's a there's a ramping period and you can't rush it, right? Yeah. You need, like, that's why you're getting trailers for movies that are coming out next summer or yeah, the, exactly. the winter. And, and if you just jam stuff down people's throats in a three or four month period, it can't saturate. And so the movie didn't open as well as we thought it should have, but it had good word of mouth. Yeah. It had better legs. Yeah. Than similar genre movies. Right. The drop off wasn't. No, I mean, it wasn't as bad. Given so it, the stars in it at that time. It's weird though. If you've ever, I mean, we've all probably seen like a movie came out and you're like, oh shoot, I didn't see anything for that. You know, and who knows what happened, but you're like, I didn't even know that was coming the, out. The, the most tragic one, and I almost brought it up as we talk about later, is Warrior, uh, the Gavin O'Connor movie. With you giving me a blank face, like you yeah. like this is proving my point. Uh, with Tom Hardy. Oh no, I thought you were talking about the Warrior. No Warrior. Like, uh, Okay, the, the MMA movie, the, the f- amazing movie, super talented people. I've never really worked with or know any of them, so I'm just speaking as a fan. Yeah, I, I love that movie. I watch it repeatedly. You can show it to anyone. You can show it to your mom. You can yeah. show it like anyone who's yeah. old enough to watch. A yeah. movie but like it's it, it it spans demographics and age yeah. and race and sex. It just it it was a complete disaster financially on its uh, initial release. It came out the weekend of if I have this, I only know this because I looked it up. It came out the weekend of the 10th anniversary of September 11th. So it was like a it was like a weird, somber holiday weekend that wasn't yeah. sort of, you know, it was like literally the opposite. Yeah, they're having like ceremonies. And, and it was and opening football. I think it was like the, the no. opening weekend of the NFL. And so all the guys, like there was, and there was a third thing that took away from like the main demo that you advertise yeah. it to. Yeah. And the advertising didn't know how to place it. And, yeah. and when you watch the trailer, the trailer doesn't, is less than the movie is. Yeah. And you watch the movie and the movie is like a modern day rock. And it's just like, and nobody saw anything about it. Well, now I want to see it. Oh. Warriors of yeah, Warriors of almost like a must watch. Wow, second behind the must watch. We'll talk about later. <laughs> no, that's great. Obviously, in your experience now as a producer, 
you know, you already gave some good advice. Like, don't shoot chronologically. Don't <laughs> be flexible. It's like, but up to right, you. Right, what, uh, <laughs> what, what, what thoughts, I mean, what advice would you have? Someone who wants, like me, I want to be a producer. What, what advice do you have about how to be the best? What can you be doing as a 14-year-old in Kansas to prepare for that now? What's, I, I wish I read more. I mean, the more experience you can have as a human being, the better off okay. you are. Whether it's reading or whether it's having jobs that just okay. teach you about life and people. I don't know. It varies. The last thing actors should do when your kids is take acting classes. You should learn to sing, and you should practice archery, and you should you should do everything in the world that makes you a person, not trained to imitate people. Okay. Yeah, do that when yeah. you're doing it professionally, but instead become a real person. Those always end up, and the same with writers too. Like the craziest writers are the ones who are like, yeah, you know, after I got out of the army, I worked on a crab boat in Alaska for two years, <laughs> and then it, like they've got a lot of stuff to say. Right, yeah. as opposed to just like I've been training to be a writer since I was fourteen. Yeah, so <laughs> makes sense. I feel just I'm only giving advice on the things I'm bad at. So like I think you should hustle as much as possible and do it again, do it again, do it again. Write another script, write another script, write another script. Don't just write one and stare at it all day because it's yeah. perfect and beautifully done. Um, those are the people who succeed. Like regardless of talent, like if a guy writes twenty scripts and I've met these guys who. They've got 20 scripts that are all horrible, but like they've got an agent and they've got a nice house and they've got a, like it's just the, the hustle really does yeah. it, and you've got to exercise that muscle. Yeah. If you don't have it come naturally to you, there's a lot to be said for just being ready for luck. I think there's a lot of luck to it. I think that like talented people don't make it, and untalented people do, and I think some of that's fate, and you've just got to accept yeah. it that it's this, this industry yeah. is a casino, as one of my friends says. You have to be you have to be ready for luck, right? Like just yeah. like in blackjack, if it's going. Tens rich, you better be ready to bet, and you better have been paying attention. And yeah. if if you get an opportunity to be in an elevator with Christopher Nolan, you you better have a finished script, and you better have your pitch down, and you better you know have social skills that you can you know not be a jerk. Like yeah. you have to be prepared for the luck, right? Yeah. If you're not, then you you only get one of those once in a lifetime, and it's gone. And I think those are the people who make it are the people who are prepared for luck yeah it's like the opposite of preparing for a disaster yeah like you you need your your go bag full of positive yeah. good stuff yeah and just like with an earthquake like you can't make it on the day like if it's not ready if you're yeah if you're if you're not prepped for luck then you're out of luck no that's i that's honestly amazing advice i actually, mean it's almost something that i think people take for granted i do have a have you ever like actually done an elevator pitch like, have you ever, not, not necessarily like, like in an elevator, not literally in an elevator, but like, have you ever like had that like real short window, you're next to somebody. It's, um, yeah. There's walking to the, yeah. Right. Walking to the, walk, like you got until they get to their car. Exactly. And they start walking faster. <laughs> like, they're you, like, oh, you can, can the, the good news is you can tell how interested <laughs> they are by how they vary the speed of their walking. Like if they pause and they find a little shade to listen to you, like great. And if they like hurry up and get their keys out and start hitting the alarm, alarm, okay, cool. then you know, you're not doing a very good job <laughs> okay. of pitching. So like that can, that can actually you know, be much more, at least an elevator, they're trapped and they can't get out. Yeah, I wonder if, like, Christopher Nolan avoids elevators. Like, <laughs> he's like, never, I don't want to go in them. That, that's pretty cool, though. Like, we often probably think of, like, oh, Spielberg or somebody if you had that chance, but it's not It's not always just, you know, the biggest name in, in Hollywood. I mean, you could be next to somebody, like you said, one minute walk and you could change the game. No, that's cool. that's really good advice. Hey, man, like, I'm, you literally, are... all of this advice is worth as much as it costs you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you for just diminishing the first half of this podcast. I appreciate it, man. Okay. Sure to manage expectations. That's what so I'm, other thing I want to just because you have seen a lot of stuff and experienced it, and I guess if there were three rules you could give to anyone who's planning to come here, make the next 
you know, billion dollar franchise, what advice do you have? And if it's not three, that's fine. Three, more, yeah, just, less. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> I wish I knew that. The, you know, you better want to do it for real. Otherwise, you'll just quit and go home. I think that the people who come here to be rich or famous, I think there's easier ways to be rich. And there's easier ways to be famous <laughs> or be around famous people learning that stuff. Like, you yeah. actually have to creatively want to make films. And you kind of can't have any other second, yeah. most second place things. Yeah. And I would make sure of that. And if you need to go, you know, backpack through Italy for six months, then do it before you commit to going here. Because it's a big sacrifice. You sacrifice a lot financially and with family and relationships. And yeah. So yeah. Like, it, there's a big cost to pay to try to do this the right way. So you need to make sure... Do yourself that favor. Two, you should uh, learn where all the best free parking is as far oh as my mall. God. That's very, yeah. very, un- yeah, it's, that's the best advice. Well, in the Midwest, ever. they don't have paid parking. No. There's all, you could do a meme of things that you don't get when you're, <laughs> like, free parking. Like, what do you mean free parking? Everything's free in LaGrange. In LA, like, yeah. pay, I was at ICM, and they gave me six free uh, all-day passes because... The reception is screwed up. A, so I'm like gold. Yeah. Like I've got five more left of just like free parking in Century City and I just can't wait to like oh my come just go shopping. <laughs> I would always, um, communication is like super important. You should really be loyal to your friends. Always network with people that you meet and keep it up even when there's no reason to. Ping them on their birthday. Ping them when a, you read about them if they've got something coming out. You never know when it's going to pay off. You never know when they can help you. Yeah. Uh, do favors when people when people do the same thing to you. When they chase you down and add, do a favor for them because you'll be able to return it someday. Right. Theoretically, I used to drive people to the airport whenever they asked mm. because I'm like, well, now you owe me a trip to LAX, and I kind of had a favor bank built up in my head of LAX trips, and then they invented Uber, and that just all went down the drain because <laughs> nobody even nobody asks you for rides to the airport anymore. Uh, <laughs> well, I need so, your friend, man. Mine's still bugging me. They didn't. Yeah. There's there's a real value to like loyalty and and you never know, but you work with someone year after year, like eight years go by and suddenly you find a reason to work with them or they find a reason where they need to to ring you up. So like, it's underrated to just keep you know loyal. Right. I, I think about just myself. If I was you know if I'm working on a project, who am I going to call? I'm going to start with the people that I know. I guess that makes a lot of sense. If you know you keep those relationships up and you're a good friend, and yeah, that's where I'm going to go. Well, and you, and your last note is pretty much just be a good. friend person because well those type of skills are going to everybody who the knows is rolling to their eyes right now the ability to uh, <laughs> yeah. you know to cultivate relationships know, right that's what makes you successful in life whether you're making movies or you're running for politics or you're i think too often we forget that relationships are the currency of the world if you know the right people and you've driven them to the airport enough times then <laughs> also sometimes it works out life's too short and you should surround yourself with people you like people you respect yeah. and this and likewise too because in between making hit movies that make a billion dollars you know there is some downtime <laughs> you've got to go to lunch with people and you got to right. hear about their families and go to their their family parties and it would be nice if you surrounded yourself with cool people that were good to you and you were good to them and you might just end up as a happier person Right, and I think that I that's I what sustains you. Uh, just, just you know, like it keeps you sane, right? Yeah. Like when yeah. you, if you've not been in just this heat-seeking missile that surrounds yourself with jerks who are always slitting each other's throats, if you've actually surrounded yourself with cool people that you actually don't have a problem being around. Like that makes a big difference. Yeah. yeah. And I think that you need that. Okay. Otherwise, you'll go crazy, or you'll just quit and leave, and, and that would be a shame if you quit and leave because you know you couldn't take it, not because you chose something else, or yeah. you voluntarily decided, well, I've had my fun, and I'm going to go back to. To do it because you just were unhappy because of the unhappy people around you and stuff. Yeah. Like that's what yeah. you got to kind of sure. manage yourself as best you can. Okay. No. 
Right. We're just listening to a lot of podcasts and tune out the world. Like, <laughs> turn on the noise reduction. And... Good advice. Yeah, great advice. Any? Well, I know we wanted to talk movies. Yeah, so, so we should talk cars or nutrition or the keto diet. Well, yeah. talk movies is like my favorite. I, I asked you before you came on, what do you think is an incredibly underrated film? And I really liked your answer. I, I, there's a, a small, a tour director who's making a name for himself. And he's coming up, trying to get some name <laughs> recognition, trying to you know find actors to work with. And I figured um, I could help him out. So I, I chose a movie directed by Michael Mann. Who you don't normally associate underrated with. And I've never worked directly for Michael Mann. So this is, we'll switch into fan. You know, if we if we come across anyone that I've worked with or worked around, or I'm yeah. happy that as of now, this is fan mode. Yeah. Right. And that's also better because you don't want to meet your heroes. His films can be underrated in the sense Manhunter is one of the most underrated of the Lecter, yeah. Hannibal Lecter yeah. saga. Thief is an unbelievably underrated yeah. heist crime, you know, because it's sort of a, yeah. not a prototype for Heat, but it's a, yeah. an earlier version yeah. of that that's less famous. But I think The Insider is uh, both underrated and it's a good lesson for people to watch if you're a filmmaker, yeah. if you're an actor, if you're a writer, yeah. if you're a director or producer. So I, it fell into both categories. Yeah. And I'd recently watched it, so I didn't have to rewatch it. I think that's fantastic. I mean, I agree with you. And it blows my mind. I feel like everything I watch by man, I'm just like, how is this movie not a bigger deal? Because I think he is a brilliant filmmaker. Well, I think that you can make the argument that there are some films that don't deserve to be... You're going to say Miami Vice? I'm going to say everything that came out after The Insider. Uh, what about Collateral? <laughs> I, I love Collateral. Okay. All I'm right. sorry, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. sorry. I forgot about Collateral. It's, uh, you know, the movies that you saw earlier are always more... This movie came out when I was in film school, and so... And I loved Heat, and so this was kind of yeah. for me personally. But I, I think that it's also like, you know, it was released by Disney, who's not super good at marketing and um, selling R-rated drama. Yeah. It's got a very vague title. It has a movie star in a very unmarketable persona, which is a fat dude with graying hair yeah. and a weird accent. Yeah. It's about smoking litigation. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just all these, it's got all these strikes going against it superficially. But it's an absolutely amazing movie. Yeah. And I like it on many, many levels, and we can talk about them now. Um, but it's essentially an action movie with you know no gunshot. I mean, it, yeah. it it reads and it feels and there's there's scenes that are that are oh absolutely shot and edited like a thriller, like yeah. a serial killer movie. Yeah. I mean, with you could do two or three reshot scenes and suddenly it's a serial killer movie. And yeah. that's that's a cool thing to do with an audience. And there's there's a lot of other man tropes that are used throughout it too. But for some reason sure. in this one, because there's no shootouts or explosions, his technique sort of stands out more. Because, yeah. You know, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, spoilers. I'm thinking about the scene at, at his house where he, he thinks there's an intruder. Mm-hmm. That is like the most, like, when I think of scenes where I feel like you feel a character's paranoia and you feel this foreboding, like, it's it's definitely in one of the best scenes I've ever, it's, it's insane. Yeah. And as you said, there's no traditional action. But there's parts where you're just captivated and, and sitting it's, on the edge. It's, of your it's what you can see and what you can't see. I mean, it's it's very advanced what he's doing. It's hard to break down. You know, the, he shows the furnace light up. Yes. For a jump scare. Yeah. And the yeah. daughter gets jump scared. There's a lot of character in it because he's got his daughter. Like the daughters won't go to sleep. Yeah. And so they're coming with him, and you're like, oh no, they're gonna yeah. shoot the daughter. So there's that tension, but there's also there's a lot of great beats when he's, despite everything else, being a good dad. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. he's sit down, honey, read a book. And <laughs> he's trying to calm her so she doesn't freak out, but also doesn't walk in the way of a bullet. Yeah. And he gets a gun and he wants to protect her from it. So he says, stay there. And the whole time he, as an audience, you're tracking the girl because you're thinking the cliched version is 
the girl's going to get shot or something like yeah, that. Right? Yeah. But he's just setting you up for all these scares. And, the, you know, I wonder if the Burnus light is sort of a joke. Like, yeah. yeah. And then Russell Crowe goes out in the backyard and um, he's looking for evidence. And then there's the raccoon yeah. that he almost yep. shoots. And so it deflates your tension. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's just a raccoon. But then he looks down and he sees the broken uh, popsicle sticks that were holding up the plants. And he sees a footprint. It's a footprint. Yeah. And you don't even know. Maybe it was like kids. Maybe yeah. it was. He, it's nothing as overt as you know yeah. but it scares you because it's it reverses back on you and then the daughter comes out and again it's a character-based scare if we talk long enough i'll get into character versus plot but you're not interested in the scene because oh he might shoot his daughter which would be the bad right, right. what it is is he wants to protect his daughter's innocence by not letting her see the gun and not letting her think that there's intruders yeah and he's yeah. trying to do his duty as a father while dealing with the consequences of being a, an insider. Yeah. And that balance is the character balance. And that's why it's so much more thrilling yeah. than just a plot-based intruder of the backyards. And yeah. there's many throughout the entire... There's a scene when he goes to the courthouse and it, there's men with machine guns yes. and there's like yes. sirens and the, the, the music. And you would think it's like Jack Ryan going through the streets of Bogota yeah. like, going to catch a RPG. But it's not. It's, yeah. he's, you know, in America and he's safe. But the scenes are ratcheted up with all this tension makes the movie seem much more elevated than it is which yeah is one of the fun it's insane or the one where he drives by his house and he sees the uh... there's a car on fire a random car yeah, on fire yes just, they just yeah and and you can or cannot associate that with something going on there's all these scenes where you know the paranoia they do a good job of building and they build it from the beginning of the movie they show the movie's masterclass so we can't go through it scene by scene <laughs> but like the first shot of the movie is scientists celebrating with Kate and there's a giant glass wall and Jeffrey Wygand is boxing up his stuff because he's been fired yeah. and he's looking at them with either resentment or pain or frustration yeah. and he's been fired and as he walks out the door like even the guard is giving him the look like yeah. some hourly dude and Wygand's looking at him yeah. and later on when Jeffrey Wygand has to return to sign the amended confidentiality agreement yes everyone's looking at him and he says i don't like being back here and people are giving him side eye mm -hmm. and in the room where he confronts michael gambon yeah thomas sandifer when he confronts there's characters who you don't even see they're just lurking in the background and they're out of focus yeah and he does shots you know instead of over the shoulder it's over the tapping hand and so these these people who are meant there to intimidate him or maybe say one sentence it's just this constant haunting feeling and then as he's leaving you're right over his shoulder so yeah. you're paranoid with yeah. him and then the car uh, he's furious forget when chronology he's furious at one point and so he goes to blow up some steam by going golfing uh, drive to the driving range yes and yes. not only is it he's alone and, and it's a scary scene because there's just pools of light right. and, and it's shutting down yeah. yeah and it's shot dreamily like there's a weird out of focus slow motion shot yeah. So, yeah and then this dude pulls up in a car and he's scary looking he looks like a bird or something and he's in a suit <laughs> and, and he's, he's just looking at him and he's bigger than yeah. Russell Crowe yeah. and he's better at golf than Russell yeah. Crowe yeah. and yeah. his car and his suit is nicer than Russell Crowe's like he's just a scary guy and every time Russell Crowe pauses he pauses and he waits for Russell Crowe to shoot and he's clearly intimidating him and then Russell Crowe tries to find him so at this point all this paranoia has been justified so later in the movie when stuff like a burning car or stuff like 
like a flame in a furnace pops up, mm-hmm. we've been conditioned to be just as paranoid yes. as he has. Yeah. So we jump at the same things he jumps at. So we're always in his point of view, and we don't think he's being foolish for being paranoid. Yeah. We're as paranoid as he is. Yeah. And that's like the, the, one of the clever storytelling tricks of man. Yeah. Does. I hope you, if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. It's worth watching, and you gotta watch it like five times. I mean, it's yeah. The, the plot is so layered and so complicated. It. It's really two movies in one. First half of the movie is sort of the Russell Crowe story. Yes. And the second half of the movie is the Al Pacino story. Mm-hmm. And that's jarring. Yeah. They became supporting characters in each other's movies. The plot is extremely layered. And there's many people's jobs that you have to figure out who they are and what at CBS and if they're reporters, if they're lawyers, yeah. if they're journalists. And the tobacco executives and lawyers and why is he testifying and... Mississippi and yeah. who are these people? Yeah. And it's, it's full of phone conversations, so people. So it's extremely confusing from a plot point of view, and you got to straighten that out before you can drink in all the performances. Yeah. Really, and you're not confused anymore by things. And so it's fifth and sixth viewing is sort of when it becomes so detailed. Hmm. But it's it's worth it because you sort of that's when you get to the character stuff. You, you, it's not a story about cigarette litigation. It's not a story about the media. And, and news and corporate and journalistic journalism. integrity. It's yeah. like these men are doing what they think are the right thing, and what's the cost of that? And, and I think that, and that's what's relatable because yeah, I don't. And yeah. So the 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 bon mot that I heard um, that I'm going to repeat and take credit for as <laughs> often as I can, not on a podcast. On a podcast, I can't get away with it, but in person, I can. <laughs> is your goal as a filmmaker and a storyteller is to tell a story about a relatable human experience, but through a character that you've never met. I like that. That's, I like that. That's how you can tell science fiction stories or old Western stories, right. because it's a relatable human experience. I just want a cool, interesting person to be telling me the story. Yeah. And I've never personally met like a, a famous insider who has to testify. And I've never met you know, award-winning journalists with dozens of Emmy and stuff like that. Those yeah. are crazy people. Most regular people don't get to meet them. But the story they're telling is something's wrong. I'm going to stick my neck out and fix it. And guess what? I got my head chopped off over it. Like, yeah. it isn't a happy ending. No. You lose your wife or you have to quit your job or you lose your reputation yeah. or you lose your house. Like, there's serious consequences and you need to examine if it's worth it and the, and the price of being honest and how you find happiness. You know, he's happier teaching school for $51,000 a year than he is making 500000 Yeah. But the cave he has to crawl through to get there is extremely harrowing. And right. and some people might not make it. Some people might turn around. So, like, that's a really relatable story yeah. to, to okay. anybody. But it's told through these really interesting and exotic people. That's why it's a great story and example to watch. Yeah. I think a lot of times in cinema, right, we the notion of truth. And I don't think this is cinema, right? This is literature as far back as we've had it. It's always been, you know, there's truth and there's people who embrace truth and people who don't, right? And that's kind of our protagonist and our antagonist. And I think that he does such a good job of saying, okay, do you know the costs of pursuing the truth? And are you willing to do it? Because there are times where I watch, where, where I'm watching a movie and I'm like, dang, I don't know if I'd want to, like, is it, I don't think, it, is it really worth it, man? Like, like oh, that BMW or Mercedes was really nice and now he's... Yeah. yeah, just I think it's I think the first time I saw it, I was just blown away by it. I was like, wow, that that is a movie about real life. And the reason it falls into the underrated category is because Heat is an extremely similar movie where it's two men who are extremely good at their jobs. And that's a man. Trope, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like everybody in every yeah. man film is the most qualified person ever. <laughs> and it's cool. It's what makes it fun. And they have to choose like how dedicated are they going to be to the job? 
and or are they going to let go? Yeah. And there's a price you pay. It's the whole, you know, don't have anything in your life that you can't walk away from in 60 seconds flat when you feel the heat come around the corner. That's kind of the inverse of... Yeah. And so, like, Al Pacino does yeah. commit, and, and De Niro doesn't. De Niro gets a girlfriend, and yeah. De Niro, like, and so De Niro yeah. pays a price. Uh, and Val Kilmer pays a price. Val Kilmer walks yeah. away from his, his wife, and he survives, but at what cost? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, and so... That's always the insider does she drives by, like, that. You know. Just one, one little pass, yeah. yep. and he's gone. And, and so that's the cost, right? Insider does the same thing. What is the cost these men pay for having this level of dignity and honesty yeah but it does it without gunfights in downtown la without awesome action set pieces without car chases yeah it dramatizes the same ideas and and feelings and emotions um but without the flash and the lights and the explosions Mm -hmm. and it's just as entertaining yeah by my lights at least so that's what goes into the underrated category is it okay he strips away the the flash and he just gets to the emotion, and it's just as entertaining. I think The Insider is as entertaining as he did. No, I even though it's agree 100%. Obvious. That's kind of what always shocks me, is that it's this action movie that without bullets. Yeah. Well, just the one bullet. Yeah, the one bullet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. It is... I'm glad you picked it, because I think it is totally... I mean, it's a movie I don't even think about that all much. It's a good example. Um, the other note I wrote that I should bring up is, um, for filmmakers out there, and this at every level, because I'm, I catch myself falling into this trap, your characters, your main character, your hero, need to be compelling. And that word gets thrown around a lot in meetings without people thinking about what it means. But compelling, not likable. So a lot of times when people are discussing, they're like, oh, he's not a likable. doesn't have to be likable. That's a mistake. It has to be compelling. That'll make a good hero. I'm not saying anything genius, right? Like every lead in a TV series going back since NYPD Blue has been more compelling than likable. Yeah. It's the anti-hero. The anti-hero. Tony Soprano is really likable and and he's the number one. Walter White's all the way down. Compelling. Same here with with Jeffrey Wigand. He's got a temper. He's a bad dad. He's a he's a horrible husband. He's a drunk. And 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 he's not like and he's not really a good dad. And and he tries, but he's he's a flawed dad and a a horrible husband. And he has a huge temper. Half the problems in his life are his fault. You know, the other half are big tobaccos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and he's not a guy you want to be... He's not a person that you... But he's compelling. He's really interesting because he does have a code. He'll slip into... You know, when he, when he relates to science and when, when he tells these stories, his humanity comes out when he talks about the aspirin recall. Yeah. Or when he talks about... When he's doing his first day of chemistry class yeah. as a teacher. Yeah. Or when he's talking to his daughters about your lungs and... and uh, yeah. Like then, then like you see these layers Just to the sky, and he's and he's complex and compelling. Like, but he's right. not likable. And and you should always remember that. Same thing to a lesser degree with Al Pacino. He's a little more likable, but he's kind of a loudmouth jerk. You'd really not want him as a boss. You see the way he, the way he treats Debbie Mazar, where like she's she's a high level executive, but he treats her like an assistant. So yeah. he's also not super likable, right. but he's very 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 compelling. So keep that in mind as you create a character. Don't try to make him likable. Just make him interesting and someone you want to watch. And that's that's going to help you. That's awesome. That's great advice. Yeah. Now, why do you think those are so compelling characters? Do you think it's... Is it the way that man constructs them? Because we know both of them, essentially the lines in their lives that they're not going to cross, right? They know regarding the worlds they live in, where the, where the right and wrong is, and he takes them both up to that. Is that part of it? I mean... What, what do you, you have to be able to look. give me the, the, the thirty second answer on the you know the the six month seminar <laughs> class. I relate to those guys when when similar things happen when Al Pacino is sandbagged 
by Mike Wallace in the meeting. Yeah. When, when he's railing at um, the head of TV, uh, not Cluster, when he's railing at Philip Baker Hall yeah. about, yeah, why is he going to do this, that, and he's, and he's yeah. giving one of his yeah. speeches, yeah. and he's like, and Mike Wallace is, is just interrupting him slowly, like, Lowell, Lowell, Lowell. He's like, I- I'm with him on this one. And you realize that he's just been totally sandbagged by his partner, yeah. and he's on his own. Like, you've had those moments where yeah. your your friend or your partner, your family member that you thought was with you has been, you know, deceiving you. And like Everyone has those moments. Right. So I can relate to those, even though it never happened on the 40th floor sure. know, in, in Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the same thing with all the stuff, arguments that um, Russell Crowe gets into and the family. Like, I've had all these. So I, you can, you make them relatable to the people. That's yeah. what makes it interesting and sort of. Again, compelling. Not, yeah. I don't like it when he's in the situation, but it's watchable. Yeah, and I think you bring up a really good point too. With you know, as far as giving these characters something that they they commit to, right? Whatever their their mission that they're on, you know, I'm gonna do this, and really we're watching to see if they're truly committed to see seeing it all the way through, right? If you, I think if you make that thing incredibly challenging and, and like you said, interesting, not just like oh, you know, I'm gonna. I'm gonna walk out this door. You're like, well, I can do that. But if I'm like, I'm gonna jump from here to that window, you'd be like, all right, well, I'm gonna watch, right? And I, I think you just gotta, you gotta give people something that it's like you would have to be really committed to want to do that. There's a cool filmmaking trick that I learned. It's second generation Simpson Bruckheimer when I worked at uh, Warp for Lucas Foster, and the terminology. Maybe I'm not supposed to share it. Maybe it's top secret. But just because you know it, it's still hard to do. Which is you want to vapor lock with the characters. And by vapor lock, it means they're stuck and they can't walk away, like you said, right? They've got to see it through. If you do that, if your characters are stuck and they've got to go through the tunnel instead of quitting walking home, then you've got a compelling movie. I'll use the example of Die Hard. There's the best movie of all time. It's certainly not underrated. (laughs) I know this this will make more sense, but that's like my mom's favorite movie. Your mom sounds like she needs to have a fan club. <laughs> she loves, yeah, she loves Die Hard. <laughs> so the, the the vapor lock in Die Hard, there's a character based one and a plot based one. And like all things, it's better if it's character based. Yeah, is you rely on it. But plot based sort of is the paint, mm-hmm. and then character based is the is the actual support beams. So the the plot based vapor lock. Why doesn't Bruce Willis just go home? Yeah. Like, just go home. It's dangerous. You look at you. you cut, <laughs> did you cut your feet? Your clothes are dirty. Yeah. Like, just go home. Well, you can't because terrorists have locked the door and they'll shoot you if you go home. It's a plot-based, right? So I I guess I'll stick around. Character-based vapor lock is so much more compelling, which is he's got to fix his marriage. Yeah. That his marriage was on the rocks and made it worse when he showed up. And before he had a chance to fix it, terrorists came in and took his wife. He's fixing his marriage by murdering terrorists. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So that's why Bruce Willis can't go home. It's a a character. So that that vapor lock is awesome in that movie. It's ironclad. In The Insider, his both... Russell Crowe and Al Pacino's reputations are going to be ruined beyond belief unless they take it through to the end, right? right. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. going to get sued. They're going to be fired. All these bad things are happening to them. And they can't just throw their hands up and say, I quit, because then the, the bad guys will win. It'll go down in history that Russell Crowe is a liar and right. Al Pacino's a bad journalist. Yep. So they have to make it through the end. They have to survive long enough for Al Pacino to get the corrected version on the air. He's vindicated. Russell Crowe's vindicated. Yeah. They're, they're both their careers are in tatters, but they're, the character-based vapor lock is what got them through all of that. 
And that's why that's you can't turn it off because you want to, yeah. yeah. like, that's incredible. you've got to be with them. Yeah. Like, that's what, that's a, that's a difficult thing to do. It's easy to do for a plot base, right? Plot is you just have the terrace lock the doors or. Exactly. Yeah. But, but character base is the, is the real good stuff. And, and that's why movies like this wow. sort of last for decades. That was awesome. I think that was a great explanation. Yeah. Too. Steal only from the best. No, you. <laughs> that was great. That's what you gotta do. I also think it's cool that the movie is based on actual events. Obviously, this is not anything that I was really aware of was going on in the world, right? When I was a kid, I never watched 60 Minutes or anything. <laughs> Watching the movie now, you know, almost 20 years later, we we see the the impact of their actions and how it has changed the world and we can only assume so many people's lives for the better and I think that when you go back and watch the film I think that's something I don't think man intended that when he <laughs> in 99 when he made it but I think it's it is something that that adds a little more power to the film you see the mountain that they moved mm-hmm. and you almost take it for granted now the forces that they were up against I think that's a cool thing too yeah Good choice. Listen, you have any shout outs like your mom or anyone you got you to plug before? Do you think that my family who listens to me rant and rant about movies all day long is going <laughs> to voluntarily do it in stereo? Well, I will tell you this. Like they do, they, they all the time they'll, I love them, I love my family, but they'll like, like, oh, I just saw this horrible movie or this, you, your mom and I watch this horrible show. I'm like, I could have told you it was horrible. I, like I knew it was horrible from the second I saw it. I read it. I like, and it's, I like. They never say it out loud. But it's like, yeah, we didn't like. That would be worse than the movie. Like your self-righteous, like self-aggrandizing rant about how your opinions are superior than the dozens of filmmakers who tr- sweat and blood to make that movie would be worse than the actual movie. Itself. So I'm gonna, like, I'm slowly catching on. So my family, uh, if they're watching it or listening to it an accident, don't have any, you know, I, I'm, I'm pitching a bunch of stuff. Um, this, this month and next month are all about pitching, which is a totally different discipline. And I know far less about that because it's much harder. But when I have, when, if and when they sell and if and when I've got people's uh, to a time and a place to tune in or to go buy a ticket, then I will happily come in. Well, we will gladly share. Yeah, yeah, we'd love you to come uh, back on. But up until then, it's just sweating and hard work and hustling around like everyone else does, and hopefully watching some good movies in between or listening to some good podcasts in between. Nice. Um, but other than that, I'm just you know just hustling around. Fantastic. All right. Last thing, um, if anyone wanted to find you, any advice? I'm pretty stalkable. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn and I'm okay. on Facebook and I, I boom. I, you could probably find a man on, on LinkedIn. Me. Um, yeah, that's what's that awesome. Like, LinkedIn's and, where it's at. And I'm happy and and happy to come on and give advice and like you always need to meet people and hang out and so I'm I'm glad that you guys have this because it's great to talk and thank you. Thank you. And yeah, it was a pleasure having you on. I hope you'll come back. Just dude, maybe to. you should come on. We should talk Die Hard. That would be fun. That's just it's just. I mean, you're asking for trouble. <laughs> like the real challenge would be like, let's talk Die Hard three, and like that would be tying one hand behind our backs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. Actually, that, that doesn't fear the letter Die Hard is going to be the. Thanks, guys. Thank you yeah, so thank much. You. For appreciate it. Really appreciate yep. it. And uh, for all the listeners out there, definitely send us your thoughts. If you got any questions? We will be happy to relay them and respond. All right, well, you can follow me at Big Kid D-Man. You can find me at NDCal5. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. 